0: This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. Who would have thought, Archie, that Carol and I can solve the problems of the world?
1: I did. <laughs> Gara's been uh, giving me her version of solving my problems of the Lord for 20 years.
0: I want to know where you stand on Nick Curios. Are you a fan or not a fan?
1: Not a fan, but I'm a hypocrite because I can't help watching. I'm like the person that reads the magazine and then complains about what people write in magazines. That's how I feel when I watch Nick Curios.
0: And it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. I read it in two days. I could not put it down. It has to come with all of those alerts. This is profoundly disturbing.
1: Difficult to read. It's
0: really difficult to read.
1: So a confession, Corrie, in Grade six, at school. I was 11 years old. I wrote a letter to Charlene to Kylie Minogue (laughs) as a kid. I think Charlene had been on the screens and overalls for all of three or four days. I was a neighbours watcher every night and I sent a letter saying could I get a signed photo and it came back in three days.
0: Okay, there are so many questions right now.
1: (laughs) Can you tell us a bit about the movie?
0: You ready to blush? So Emma Thompson kind of my age and Caro's she's never had an orgasm and so, so so she hires a gigolo and... Is this
1: a joke, by the way? Are you, are you just trying to actually have a laugh at my expense here?
0: I made Craig Hutchinson blush. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corrie Perkin. Hey everybody, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corrie Perkin and this is episode 227 of our little podcast and our friend Caroline Wilson is away. Miss Jane is here with me holding up the fort Um, Caro had a family wedding on the weekend. She sent me through photos, Jane, of the beautiful bride. Stunning. Stunning. I think she she sent them the night she went to bed. And she said, I should have listened to your tip, Corey, which was to take my phone with me and take shots because they're all (laughs) desperate. And she left her phone at home. But somebody had taken this beautiful photo of Rose. So well done, guys, over there. But in her absence, we are joined by... Craig Hutchinson. Craig, it's great to see you again.
1: What an invitation. Thank you, Corey. It's hardly a little podcast anymore, by the way. 220 plus episodes in, you guys have done an amazing job. And I'm humbled to be invited for a short period of time. And I promise when Caro sat in for me on the Sounding Board podcast and decided to spend 15 minutes telling everyone what she thought of me, I'll be a bit more <laughs> kind-hearted today. So nice to see you. Thanks for, thanks for the invitation. Well, good...
0: well, last time you were with us with your partner, Claire... Yep. Miss Jane tells me it was one of the best rating shows that we've ever had. Jane
1: just says that. That's not entirely true. because <laughs> you're I know, her boss? I, I did invite Claire back <laughs> today, but Claire's first reaction to me was, I, I can't get a word in when you're there, which I didn't think that was necessarily uh, true. I no, thought she did a magnificent no. job, Claire, and it is the first day back at school for many today, so... Claire's an apology. But, yeah, uh,
0: no problem. We will, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll leave her doing the most important motherly duties. Great to have you here, Hutchie. We've got so much to talk about. You and I later in the show. We have you for a brief moment, but later in the show, uh, I'm going to be really excited to talk to Nick Martin, who is planning a swim across the English Channel. Wow for charity and he leaves for the UK in a few days. He'll be joining us and also Miles from Prince Wine Store. Craig, you have a recipe which has got me very excited. <laughs> I have a fantastic book which I can't wait to share with you and the potties. But first of all, we must promote, this was actually your idea, Craig, a hundred years ago when we thought about this podcast. You said to Caro and I, you girls should one night have a movie night and raise some money for charity. And we are finally. Magnificent.
1: How good take, is this?
0: only taking us a while. Would you like to give it a bit of a plug?
1: Yeah, well, thanks to our wonderful partners at Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, call Red today. It is on Tuesday, the 16th of August, 5 for a 5.30 start at the Palace Como, which is magnificent the Como, obviously, to watch movies in South Yarra. And it's called Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. Can you tell us a bit about the movie?
0: I can. You ready to blush? So Emma Thompson, who's yep. kind of my age and Caro's, she plays... Uh, I can't remember. with I think she's divorced or maybe she's widowed. I can't remember, but she's never had an orgasm. And so okay. so, so she hires a gigolo and- Is this
1: a joke, by the way? Are you, are you just trying to actually have a laugh at my expense here?
0: I made Craig Hutchinson blush. I think I'm blushing more on Hutch's behalf than you, Corey. And- How I
1: walk into this-
0: so I'm not giving anything away because Emma Thompson has been doing quite a lot of international media, and she's been on YouTube and also Instagram quite a lot, talking about this in the last couple of weeks. It's and it's a really significant thing for people my age. I remember my mum when she hit about sixty or sixty-five, saying, "You just become invisible," and I used to think, "Oh God, how can you be invisible?" She was larger than life, and she's a, she was a beautiful-looking woman, and it's true. Hachi, it's true. Make sure you look at older women in, in a way, not, not a pervy way, but just a respectful way. There's a thing that happens, I think, that women feel that their voices no longer matter or contribute to the, the debate. Families, if they're traditional um, women who have stayed at home looking after families full time, the families have grown up and gone away. Um, where? Who? Who are they talking to in the kitchen around the table? If they are at work, usually they're in the last few years of their work life. There's just a real thing about women feeling invisible, and this movie is about that, and, and one woman, being the Emma Thompson character, trying to claim some, some acknowledgement back and have her first orgasm. Critically, critically acclaimed, I assume? It's, well, it has. What? It's only just... It actually hasn't debuted yet in Australia, but the early reviews have been... Really profound. And and in fact, um, if you remember the film Love Actually, yep. where she plays the, the – the, one of the reviews I read said it's like she's channeled that particular moment when she realises that Alan Rickman, her husband in the movie, yep. has had an affair.
1: Bought the uh, gift for someone else. The yeah. jewellery yeah.
0: and yeah. accidentally given. Exactly yeah. right. Yes. So it's you'll wonderful. be joining what's us a, for that movie? Is that <laughs> –
1: well, it's not exactly what I thought. What I had in mind. No, I'll, I'll be giving that one a little bit of a miss. I think on the night. What's the best Emma Thompson movie you've seen? Is that Is Love Actually your favourite movie?
0: Yeah, I also loved Sense and Sensibility, which oh, yeah. she she wrote the based on the Jane Austen novel, but she wrote the script the, the the film script. So she won best screenplay award at the Oscars in that particular year. I thought she was beautiful as Kate Winslet's older sister. Uh, she's a fabulous actress, yeah. isn't she? Have you got a favourite one?
1: Uh, I I'm was I'm a big Love Actually fan, so I love that. It's got an English style. Um yeah, I, English movies are very underrated, I feel.
0: It was a great yep. film, wasn't it? Just It was a series of seven or eight stories running concurrently and everybody you talk to has a different um, favourite yeah. favorite one. You know? And the way they
1: stitch together at the end is is really cool and yeah. really different. But,
0: I still can't quite get my head around Hugh Grant um, dancing to, um, was it the Pointer Sisters in Number yeah. 10 da- yeah. Downing Street? That was
1: just a little bit of a bridge too far, wasn't it? I watched it just on the on the British content side of things, a little bit unrelated, but I watched a really interesting series on the way home on the plane the other day called The Pembroke Murders, which is a three-part series, which I would highly encourage. I think you can get it here on 7 Plus or maybe Binge or Prime. It's very hard to know where you find anything these days. You just need, Google, you I need, say. You need to Google. But a fantastic series about a um, person in prison who was about to get out, and the superintendent felt that they had committed a, a serial Murder twenty twenty five years ago. So I decided to reopen the case controversially. It's true based on a true story, and ultimately was successful. But it's a fascinating three part series. So I'll put that on your on your list of things to download at some stage.
0: Will do. Uh, Jane loves a true crime, so she'll be into that one. So uh, just a couple of bits of correspondence. Hello to Annie from Lawn. Thank you for your gift. Uh, we had an event the other night with with an author, Hutchie, and Annie came along and um, basically gave me a. a, a, a A Bunch of Flowers, not a real one. It was a virtual one, but I did appreciate her sentiments there. And thank you to all the potties who have been writing in, dear Caro and Cory. our new amazing segment. Who would have thought, Hutchie, that Caro and I can solve the problems of the world?
1: Mate, I I did. (laughs) (laughs) Caro's been uh, giving me her version of solving my problems of the world for 20 years, so I had no doubt that that would be...
0: Well, it's just amazing. Since yep. she's been away, the mailbag is overflowing, Miss Jane, so we're going to have to put that on hold for when she gets back. But thanks, everybody. We will get to your, uh, to your letters very soon. And thank you, of course, to our podcast sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store. Love you guys. Uh, and here we are for another round on Episode 227. Now, Hutchie, you've been travelling, as you said, on the aeroplane. You've been away with uh, Claire, your partner, and you've also had business dealings in the U.S., And we asked Anna from the Op Shop, Anna Barry, who was our wonderful uh, co-host last week, who's just had five weeks in Italy and Greece about travelling and how it's changed. And I I found her her overview really, really interesting, and it made me wonder: Do I actually want, as I am sitting here in Melbourne, watching all my mates on the Instagram having a great time away? Am I really, really wanting to go away? Is it that difficult? Is it that different?
1: Well, travelling is different, and the first thing I'd say to everybody who is travelling and I know your audience are very much in in tune to this, Corrie, but not everyone out there is, is that it's more difficult than it was and things are inevitably not working the way they were. Planes are late, they're delayed, they don't get off on time, the staff are understaffed. And it's never the result of the people who are on the plane. It's often those people on the plane are there to solve the problem. It's the people off the plane who might be unwell or can't get to work today or... There might be a fuel problem or whatever it may be. So can we all have a bit of empathy for those? Yeah, on the pilot. The, yeah. <laughs> People on the plane are trying to get us there as best they can. And I see a lot of venting going on. Yeah, it Can't must you? be hard. Venting with the poor staff who are – it's nothing to do with them. Um, it's a little bit easier probably for, for – I don't mean to sound stereotypical, but for men who travel with a little bit less luggage than perhaps – like I certainly – I'm a carry-on guy at the best of times. But if you have the means to – travel with carry-on and not check-in luggage, I think it's absolute game changer. You can take two bags. Not me- all
0: women carry- take lots of luggage. I didn't there, mean
1: that to sound the way that it did, but <laughs> it is. I, but, I, you're,
0: but you're right I about the hair, that, 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 taking it on as carry-on. Yep. It would save you
1: hours. I was saying that as a critical um, a piece towards men, because we travel with two items of clothing, I think that's fair and reasonable, but it's if you have the means to travel with just I'll use
0: that t-shirt one more yeah, day. <laughs> yeah. I'm like
1: that. I, I'm I can wear the same t-shirt over and over, but it's carry on is much easier in modern times than checking in luggage. In domestic travel in most Europe and uh, the US you can take two bags. And so if you can kind of live within two bags, it's a much easier world than having checked luggage. And I think I read a stat that about 10% of luggage in the US is getting lost at the moment. So you have got about a 1 in 10 chance of losing your bag, which if you put that into context is not in, I don't know that's true, but that's, that was the recent reports in the States last week.
0: So we're sort of imagining this is because of short staff among baggage handlers. That would be the issue here?
1: I think there's an entire knock-on. Like every single part of the system is just a little bit challenged more than normal. Uh, it's also there's inconsistent rules. So when I flew to the States, you could fly, you could not wear a mask from Sydney, but you had to wear a mask from Melbourne. Now, that's quite unusual, isn't it? But on a 15-hour flight, it's not insignificant. And then... It takes longer to get in and out of places, and uh, you can often, um, you know, domestically, if you've got to get, a, say, a, a connecting little train or a bus from somewhere, they might be quite condensed. So it's not, it's not easy, but overall, it's still wonderful. And the mentality in the US and in Europe of COVID, rightly or wrongly, is um, significantly more advanced than here. There's not as much, um, you don't talk about it when you're away. It's not discussed, considered, uh, it's not... Coffee conversation—you can all often forget you're in a pandemic for two, three. I've been away twice by two and a half weeks. You can forget you're in a pandemic. Other than I think what they've done better in places like New York and London is set up outdoor dining. Yes. I don't know why we haven't done that here as well as we could have. We yeah, I agree we had with a go you. at it, didn't we? And yeah,
0: yeah, agree. Although I mean the weather is not conducive to it now, but I absolutely agree. And it's councils. It's you know one mate near the, near the old bookshop I used to have said it's just the red tape of trying to get this actually done
1: well the councils have got to work past that in the big cities around the world there is you barely find a restaurant that hasn't got an outdoor cabin set up and in places like new york it's cold eight months of the year but they're set up with you know uh, heaters and whatever else to to make it and people have just got used to it and the traffic has got used to working around it and i don't understand why we haven't attempted to do that here i know it's an unmeasurable piece of the pandemic but it seems to have worked super well overseas, and it's quite confronting when you see it everywhere when you're away, and you see it nowhere here. Yeah. Or next to nowhere here, right?
0: I'm interested in what you said about the Sydney and Melbourne putting the mask, having to wear the mask, having not to wear the mask. Did you feel when you boarded the plane that you wanted to wear a mask, or you were, oh, few happy days, I don't have to on this flight?
1: Yeah, I think, and I think that rule has since changed, since so I travelled again a, a couple of weeks ago, but it, it, inevitably when you're travelling that long, it's uncomfortable, I think, to wear a mask, but you... Also, feel a bit of a sense of obligation to do it anyway. So, it's in the eye of the beholder, but really, really interesting.
0: So, you and Claire, in your first trip, recent trip, you and Claire went to London. How was London?
1: London is, I, I felt like London was jumping. London felt to me like the most closest back to normal city that I'd. Been to since the pandemic began. It, it's a real barometer,
0: yeah. London, isn't it? it I remember like just after f- the GFC, it was the deadest, saddest place. Was it's, it really? Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? The way it kind of jumps around like that.
1: It felt like it went first, right, and everything had the, had the hardest hit on COVID, and had the hard, you know, the first ones to release sort of the rules. And but yeah, London was was back to normal. I felt nearly back to normal. You know, certainly New York and LA on the way back, and Australia feels a little bit like getting there, but a little bit less. Progressed in those places, but yeah, London is jumping, I think.
0: Well, moment. it has a heat wave, they're maybe not so jumping today. They're yeah. probably sitting at home in front of their electric fans, but it's they've had a wonderful uh, summer of celebration, the uh, Jubilee, which you probably yep. caught the tail end of all of that. Uh, and Wimbledon, of course. Did you get to Wimbledon?
1: I didn't get there, no, but oh. it was an amazing, an amazing tournament, wasn't it? You, tell me your views on Nick Kyrgios. Have no, you, no thanks. No. We've,
0: we've discussed. Uh, Caro's more strident uh, about Nick Kyrgios's behaviour than I. Uh, I found it an interesting test to be involved in that weekend. Did you want him to win? Did you want him to be, win in the semi-final, and then he was in the final, and I completely became disengaged then.
1: Yeah, he's uh, unlike
0: Cam Smith on the weekend with the British Open, where you're just all over it, wearing yep. it, loving it.
1: What a story that was on the what weekend. What a great yeah. story.
0: What a great story.
1: And I think, uh, just on, I know we're not here to, to talk sport, but at the moment of the weekend for me, Tiger Woods walked down 18, and the knowledge of that crowd to know that's the last time on day two he's going to miss the cut. It, Next uh, tournament at St Andrews is not going to be for what eight years for the British Open, so he's not going to be healthy enough to play there in eight years from now. You you, would, you wouldn't think, and just the respect he was shown—they're the moments in, in life, aren't they? That, that it was very. Yeah. It was.
0: It, it, we felt we felt very sad. It was quite dramatic actually, because, well, for for my kids, Tiger Woods has been in their life all pretty much all their lives, yeah. and um and now they're adults with kids of their own, and it's just a real. Passing of the baton on to the next generation, but no, lots of great stories coming out of Scotland. Just um, on your travels in the in the US, and as potties will know, I'm, I am vaguely obsessed with um, American politics and what I see is yep. a is a really fragile democracy at the moment. Um, I wonder what the mood was, what you picked up. You would have been there, obviously, post uh, Roe v Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court, <clears throat> and also this uh, this story after story coming out of the congressional hearings into. Um, january 6, twenty one who would have thought I would be saying liz cheney you 're my girl, but she is yeah. amazing i wondered what and 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 joe biden how the how the how people are feeling about him and will trump come back in twenty twenty four what what's your state of um what what do you think the state of play well, is that you picked up on
1: I, I love american politics i am not much good at it i studied it for a year at school and have never really been any good since. So please forgive my offering. Oh, no, hey, you're
0: talking to someone who still can't work out the Electoral from the,
1: College. <laughs> been from the back row of the cheap seats. But I have lived on and off in New York over the journey, had an apartment for 10 years and it just like felt like a great love of the country. So I haven't felt it as divided as it is now ever in my time. In Since 2006, when I first took an apartment there to now, it's it's as divided as we've ever seen. And it's getting wider and wider and wider, and to the point where it is very difficult to have a social conversation with a group of friends. If the conversation drifts into anything politics, you want to get out of it quick because there's just going to be someone at the table who has a different view of someone else. And it can make – I'm not saying that some of those conversations can be constructive, but it's uncomfortable. People are really – and then I guess the cities where we tend to spend our time are the New Yorks and the LAs of the world, which are clearly you know, far more democratic than – down south, and that's not always entirely true, but you know, loosely speaking, you know the the uh, Roe Wade's been an enormous um, trigger for a lot of people, uh, unlocked a lot of hurt and a lot of uh, high emotion, and I think it's also empowered the other side of politics to think that what else and what other rules can we unpick or unlock? Um, we saw Ted Cruz's comments in the last forty eight hours. It is really emotive for people. Um, and in the middle of all that, I don't think many of the those that vote Democrat feel like they have a cognitive leader who can solve this. And so Joe Biden, who is you know well respected, I think for a long period of time, but I don't feel like the most American people feel that he's at the, the driver's seat and has control and is at his best version of himself. So that's an issue. And then you've got. Um, you know, the, the prospect of Governor DeSantis being the nominee on the Republican end and whether he and Trump go head to head and they're, they're a version of each other, aren't they? And a lot of people – DeSantis has a huge following and, and, you know, Florida was one of the first to be open and play on and and then you've got the Gavin Newsom's of the world, the uh, California governor who's got a you know very different agenda. so it's it's divided. And it's difficult.
0: And nobody likes Kamala Harris. No, they don't. They it's don't. Really, it's really peculiar, isn't it?
1: And I, I'm interested – like her – Achievements in law were superb, and her resume in the lead-up has and, and role in um, in leading has been renowned. And, it? and
0: and had she even even when she was so soundly defeated in the in the Democrat primary primaries and 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 didn't perform well in the debate and bowed out bowed out of the race when Joe Biden picked her as the vice president, there was this renewed energy. And certainly, don't you remember inauguration night? She and her husband, Joe and Jill Biden, what a force. Yeah, and they hit
1: the right note. They
0: absolutely hit the right note. And you you had so much optimism that this was going to be a new era. But... People are people are lamenting if she does stick her hand up to to stand that she'll be whipped by I don't know who I don't know who the potential candidates are. I
1: think her public performances have regressed. So her ability in front of the cameras and microphone is not what it was, and
0: she's lost her confidence. Lost her
1: confidence, and I think in you know, looking in from the outside, it felt like day one. Kamala was given a lot of the poison chalices like, okay, the border's on you. You sort that out. You, you'd be the face of the Mexican crisis, and that's like a hospital handball. How do you solve that in day one? So i do not not sure that um, the senator was given every chance to be set up for success from the outside, and in, inside Kamala is a brilliant politician and operator somewhere, but we've lost that sense of it in the public eye. Yeah. And, and then I think a little bit like those that were attached to Scott Morrison at the end felt... Being attached to Joe at the moment with a thirty-one percent approval rating is not helpful. So I don't know who the Democrat nominee is. Mm. I I, I don't think it's going to be the president. Do you?
0: No, I don't think it'll be the president. I think he. um, I I have a feeling. I have a feeling his wife might step in and say you can't do another four years because yeah. yeah, Well, I feel that. I feel that. Look at this exhausting schedule he's had this week, moving around the Middle East, and um, and it just wouldn't surprise me if. If she said, if she saw the wear and tear he he looks older, everybody is saying that he's moving slower, he looks older, Falling he looks exhausted.
1: Bike, shaking hands not there. there's some signs that are uh,
0: and, and that doesn't fill voters with confidence. Yep. And she might just say, look, let's just bow out. It's been four years of nurturing, restoring the American, uh, although, as you say, it's never been more divided. But certainly, he was the right man for the right time, I feel, as as America came out of COVID. Maybe Amy Klobuchar. You know, I'm a huge fan of her. Yeah. I think she's just great. But is America ready for a woman? Is, in fact, the UK ready for a woman? We will know all of that pretty soon, too. I, if
1: if my, my money was on anyone, it would be on Governor DeSantis. Yeah,
0: I think you yeah. probably right there as the Republican um the man around town. Hey, um was there a highlight of the trip of, of either trip to London or to the US, a great bar or a great restaurant or somewhere that you hadn't been before?
1: Jewel, that's a great question. Or yep. a
0: sporting you know, you, in your case maybe my, a sporting I,
1: I, event. I, I defer to sport a little bit because my took my on the first trip I took my stepson Nicholas.
0: Yeah. And we great. got
1: to do NBA games oh, and R- Ronaldo at Old Trafford and uh, things like that that live in a twelve year old's I think um, I'm a big fan of the West Village in New York. It's lost a little bit of its charm. You, know, you can feel the sense of crime creeping back in. There's a lot of empty shops. It's not quite back to you know, some of those magnificent small restaurants that uh, you know and love, but there's you know, some really um, some really magnificent places still in New York to, to go and see.
0: Good. So still the Big Apple's still
1: on our oh, oh, list. If you go to New York, there's a wonderful uh, restaurant. It's a bit seafood in its style. It's called Grand Banks, but it's on a ship. So- the, it's only open in the summer. The boat, I think Woodside style boat.
0: Sounds a bit kitsch.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's, it's much better than that. But it's, it's.
0: <laughs> Craig, I'm, Jane, and I we're we're zoning out here. No, go on. No, it's moored we... in the west in the uh, Tribeca. <laughs> do they wear ye clothing?
1: And it's a made flower. <laughs> it's a beautiful restaurant on a. Outdoor sailing boat and it's magnificent, right on the in, near Battery Park. Oh, okay, so what's yeah. it called again? Grand Banks.
0: Okay, all right, we'll we'll oh, note that. Top and end,
1: it, very good.
0: And is there was there a low light, bad experience, scary experience?
1: Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't think uh, walking around in New York at mid nineties as nearly as safe as it used to be.
0: Ah,
1: I think crime has crept back into the city a little bit too much for my liking.
0: Oh. All right, that's that's um, that's really interesting, and the new mayor is a former policeman. He is, and he's got a
1: high gender on crime, but he's yet to really land a blow on that.
0: Mm, interesting. We're going to do book, screen, and food now. I'm going to kick it off, Hutchie, because this is a book I think that you would also really enjoy, and I'm not just saying that because you are a bloke. Uh, Although it's a great book for Father's Day, I have to say, and and men as well as women will love this. But this is called The Escape Artist, The Man Who Broke Out of Auschwitz to Warn the World. And it's by... uh British journalist Jonathan Friedland. I don't know whether you've ever come across him, Craig, but he is a terrific writer. He also, interestingly, writes crime novels under uh, a, di- a different name, under Sam Bourne, B O U R N E. He's written about nine of those, but he's also written a couple of nonfiction. And this, the great, the Escape Artist, is absolutely um, is absolutely a must, a must um, to to read. It's based on the the true story of uh, Rudolf Verba. Who's uh, who was uh, at the age of nineteen? Uh, he'd been in Auschwitz for a couple of years. Uh, Jewish from Czechoslovakia, rounded up, sent to the death camp, and because he was fit, and nimble, and smart, he was able to survive. And he and a few other of his inmates, instead of being sent to the gas chambers, they were sent to do work in the in, in Auschwitz. And the job that he had was sorting through the luggage of uh, a, as as the the, it's just such a shocking story, and As the trains arrived and the Jewish communities were herded off by the SS, they were asked to strip and drop their clothing. They were going to be, have a shower to be disinfected for lice. That's what they thought was happening. And one of uh, Rudolph's jobs was to go through the luggage. Of course, uh, everybody inside the said shower block were gassed and murdered. And Rudolph and his uh, mates, were were in charge of really looking for gold and everything to give to the Germans. This was probably a reason why they were able to survive because they hid over a period of months, little bits of clothing. Um, sometimes the, the, the Jewish communities who arrived at Auschwitz had hidden food, hidden salamis, hidden cheeses. And, and so they were able to store, when the Germans weren't looking, these little bits and pieces to the point where they were then able to start, a, start a, an escape plan. Very, very few Jewish people left were escaped Auschwitz. Most of them were shot or hanged caught. But Rudolf and his friend Fred Wurzler were able to, and how they did it is the story. This is Jonathan Friedland's story. Rudolf Werber went on. He he died in the early 2000s. He went on to become a spokesperson and indeed was part of uh, war crime um, tribunals, uh, gave evidence. He had a photographic memory. So Craig he was able to actually count every day how many train loads came in he could tell what communities they were by the by the clothes that they wore the french for example they all had um, food in their in their jackets such as anchovies but, but the hungarians had and polish had salamis. He could sort of tell. Okay, that's come from that country. That's how many people have gone in, and he counted thousands and thousands. And later on, he was able, His evidence formed part of really important reports that went to Winston Churchill, uh, President Roosevelt in the states, and actually told the world about Auschwitz and and the and the community. He also, because of his photographic memory, was able to draw where the where the crematorium was, where the cell blocks were. Uh, he was um, he he was a profoundly important person in history, but how they escaped is really amazing, because he was he had this amazing brain and um, and sense of um, observation. He watched how uh, the patterns of behavior with the SS guards, and he realised that when somebody escapes or when something goes wrong, all hell breaks loose for three days. Dogs, guards, guards bought from other places, and then on the fourth day they go quiet. So if he and Fred could find a place to hide for three days in the camp, then they could make their run for it. And they decide, they found a spot in an old wood pile. Um, they used a, a particular petrol that the dogs, uh, the guard dogs did not like, so they didn't go near. The, the SS themselves couldn't tell that there was a smell, but the dogs could. So they didn't go near the wood pile. They were buried in wood, and on the fourth day, they emerged oh, and God. ran for it. It's an incredible book. What
1: an amazing story. It is
0: it's an amazing It's chilling it ama- hearing you talk about it. It is an amazing book. But Jonathan Friedland, um, years and years ago, there was a movie. It was a documentary called Shoah and it was um, a nine-hour movie. And Jonathan Friedland watched this, and it was survivors of Auschwitz, who, of course, in the 80s, many of them were still alive. And Jonathan Friedland remembered the interview with this, with this man. Very, um, very charismatic, um, Rudolf Verber, uh, very good looking and Jonathan Friedland as a, as an older teenager remembered this story and he never forgot it. So at this point in his career, wow. um, he's gone back and revisited it and it's just a wonderful, wonderful book. I read it in two days. I could not put it down. It, it, look, it, it has to come with all of those alerts. This is profoundly disturbing. It's
1: difficult to read? It's
0: really difficult to read. It is really the clinical... The, uh, the, the, I mean, you know, I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before, but but, but because Verber could remember how everything worked and how they, the extermination of the Jews was so high up in those last few months before the Allies invaded um, Europe, um, they were trying to get more and more and more of them through. And Verber and his... Um, and his partner who escaped with him, Fred, um, they they were determined to get the word out. That was what drove them. When they were sitting in the woodpile, not being able to move for three days, their legs and muscles virtually (laughs) atrophied. They couldn't move. They they were determined to get out and and get to authorities and tell the, the world the story, and they did.
1: Oh my god. That's... It's
0: a great. it's such a great book. So that's The Escape Artist by Jonathan Friedland. Jane will have it on the show notes if people don't have a pen with them and they can't recall. But as I said, it does come with a warning that it is it is a deeply disturbing and um and at times I was very emotional reading it.
1: Thank you for describing that for us so in such detail. It's it's confronting.
0: Oh, it's really confronting. <laughs> can I, so, um yeah. Can I, just on books
1: for a moment? Can I can I ask you a question? I read Sarah Jessica Parker's Comments last week when I was in New York about the importance of a bookstore in the city and how much of a part of a city's culture it is. And I was thinking the same when I was in Amagansett, which is a little town in the Hamptons. There's a record store, which just is the, the most charming. And they're they're almost like tourist bookstores and record stores are tourist attractions in places like New York. And yet I would assume that they're difficult commercially to have longevity around because rents get risen on them. My favourite bookstore in New York is no longer there in the West Village, which was just magnificent. Do you think, and I see in um, in Venice now, they're charging you to go into the city as a tourist because they're over... Do, do you think that the city has an obligation to uh, things like institutions like bookstores and record stores and areas like that to make rent subsidies and other... Like, do, do you think the city's put enough... Thought into how important they are as part of the charm of the town.
0: Well, it, the, in France, of course, the government have um, bookshops as part, like they're endangered species, so they receive all sorts of tax breaks and rent breaks as well, so which we, I think is really good. Why don't we do that here? Well, uh, landlords, you know, landlords, landlords need to capitalise on their investment, and but
1: governments if, could help, couldn't they? Councils?
0: Well, I don't know whether governments uh, governments help Australian literature in other ways, but it wouldn't it be great to see them protect uh, bookstores as endangered species. The, look, in Melbourne here, we, the state government um, put together a bid, a million-dollar bid, and were successful with UNESCO 10, 12 years ago, I think it was 2010, to become a UNESCO City of Literature. At the time, there were only two. Now there are about 12. And as part of the remit, to, to mount your case, you had to say we've got a thriving bookshop culture. You know, we have we have libraries and we have writers yep. and we have this and that and everything and great literacy programs for kids and we have bookstores, and in Melbourne we're blessed. We have readings, we have the Avenue Bookstore. In a lot of suburban areas, there are, or you'll always find a little bookshop, but they are threatened. And I became aware of this when we were losing our bookshop because we couldn't do another you know four by four with the landlord rent, um, and and continue our lease. A, a number of Mates in the industry would call me and say, "We're in the same position. We're having a terrible time." So, uh, so I just like hang on with your fingernails, hang on for as long as you can. We'll come out of this pandemic one day, and you'll be okay. But I do hope people will remember this, the importance to the book ecology of bookshops when they go and buy on Amazon or Booktopia or you know one of those others.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I, th- I since government put money in at the top end on these things, big library and but not. Actually, in the heart of the issue,
0: tax is, breaks would be great yeah. for bookshops. I reckon, good idea. Bring it on! Now, I've been wanting to discuss this with you for ages. This screen, because every time I say it, Caro zones out and goes, oh, "I haven't yep. seen it yet." And I know that she would love it. Is billions?
1: You have, haven't you? Yeah.
0: And she won't go there with me. So, can we have a little chat about? We billions? can. Yeah. So, billions is well, no, on stand. Yep. And it's one of your favourite programs as well.
1: It is. I was just thinking about the things that I've – I don't watch a lot of TV, but I binge watch probably like you. And I've been through Ozark and Succession, billions I love, Super Pumps, the most recent one that I've just finished, which what, is the story story of Uber. Oh, and, really? Yeah, it's brilliant. Travis Kalanick, the CEO, and his uh, polarising persona in the workforce and the manner in which he overcame obstacles in government. It's a very – I've only watched – I think it's a six-part series. I'm not sure if it's a series two yet, but I've just finished watching it. You'll love it, Corey. It's right up your alley. In Billions, talk to me about – to the last series, which saw
0: – This is the series six, which people can – Series six. You Go back to the beginning, we say.
1: So Axe was built around Axe, and he's now gone. And we understand why, because the actor who plays him uh, lost his wife, and he had to spend time in uh, London caring for her. In, during the pandemic, you'll see in series five that most of his scenes are on Zoom. It's only once where he actually turned up in person to film, which was in the last episode. The rest of the time, he's in quarantine with COVID or something like that. So they had to find a new villain in series six. And Chuck, who you know, is played so wonderfully by, is it Paul Giamatti? Yep.
0: Yeah, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti.
1: So he's, it's Chuck versus Michael Prince in series six. Really interesting series bold attempt to try and keep a series alive without its star, probably the boldest we've seen since Kevin Spacey left his series.
0: What was it called? Presidents? West uh, Wing? West, no, no, no. No,
1: no. Oh, what's it called? I've gone blank too. Anyway, it was a interesting series. I thought it was a slow start. I thought it got better in the middle, the twist at the end.
0: But so, Do you think it was successful? So just, just to fill in, Bobby Axelrod is the is the chief protagonist. It's his battle. It's it's sort of good versus evil, money versus uh, desire for money, versus trying to keep crooks off uh, Wall Street. And we have on one side Bobby Axelrod played magnificently by Damien Lewis. House of Cards. House of Cards, of course. Uh, Damien Lewis, who, as you said, yep. his wife, Helen McCrory, wonderful British um, actor, she died of cancer last year. Um, so we've got Bobby Axelrod on this side, and then on the good guy's side, or is he a good guy, yep. is Chuck Rhodes, who is uh, the local New York attorney who who tries to rise to power to become governor and do all sorts of things. Um, so with Bobby Axelrod gone, Mike Prince steps in, a seriously cool, uber cool, rich guy, really stylish, great suits, best suits I've seen on television. <laughs> and he has bought – he has taken over Bobby Axelrod's firm. So a number of the key staff – and the actors we loved are still there. Yep. And uh, Chuck Rhodes's former wife um, Wendy Wendy is still there yep. as the really I, a, a people and culture person, isn't yeah, she? She's I, a resident psychologist.
1: I thought her role in series 6 was the one that I found the most jarring. Yeah. So she lost her – she was Breen in the first yeah, five she series. lost
0: her reason for being a bit, yeah. didn't she? Because we always wondered whether whether she and Bobby were going to get together.
1: And had that big build-up to the end of Series 5 with that kind oh, of – Oh,
0: don't give it away. People oh. still haven't watched it, remember? Okay, of course. So anyway, so I the – yeah, Spoilers! spoilers. Millions of
1: spoilers. If you hadn't watched the first five series and that was just your first series and you had no knowledge of Axe, I think you'd go, this is a great series. And I still think it's a great series, but it's hard to get past the presence of Axe in my mind. It's, it's just too big a thing in the room to – I don't know how you feel. And I thought – they did a great job of maintaining Wags' character. I thought he was terrific in Series Six. Probably even increases a little bit. I thought Wendy lost her way. The writing for her wasn't
0: good enough. She's a breed actress. I still love Taylor Mason too. And played by Asia Kate Dillon. Yep. She's such a great character.
1: And that uh, that role is uh, evolving. And I thought that the things that Chuck gets obsessed about were a bit hard to believe at times in Series Six. So that would be my criticisms of the series. Is it like does, is he generally that worked up about? Rich men all the time, and some of the things that triggered him were a bit like really.
0: But don't what you is- think it's not a show about big business or or even power? Uh, for me, it's a it's a brilliant series on the human condition, and and humans need to be loved and respected because that ultimately is what Bobby Axelrod, yeah. who came from the wrong side of the track, self made millionaire billionaire, and Chuck Rhodes, who's the product of an overbearing father, damaged childhood always felt so insecure and unworthy, and all they both want to be is loved and respected.
1: Different shades of ego is how i describe it. It's Everyone in that series has a different shade of ego, right down to the two guys that left and are trying to prove themselves in the new firm. Like It, it, just, it just feels like ego in different lenses for me. So I, th- I thought it was terrific, Series 6. I just didn't think it was as good as we've come to it. But I, your view, do you think it's maintained standard?
0: Yeah, well, I, I'm invested in the characters. Yeah. So I I always, at something like this, I always look at the secondary level of characters because yeah. I think that's where you see, it's always really easy for Hollywood to bring in a couple of stars to play the key roles. And I always think it's the, the cleverness of a, of a series is that next layer. Yep. Who are the other characters? And I love them all. They're all complex and interesting. So for me, I mean, the character of um, Michael Wagner, Wags, who's yep. the psychic, he is just, he, he is just... I would just watch Billions just for him. He's hilarious. He's Um, a
1: spin-off waiting to happen at some stages. Oh,
0: wouldn't that be great? But um, just for for people who have seen Billions around and maybe heard me chat about it or heard Hachi talk about it on the sounding board, I just want to say that if you think Succession is pretty good, for me, I've only seen a few episodes of Succession, but I kind of have it like maybe five or six out of ten, and I would have Billions nine or ten out of ten. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think they're on the same level. I think Do they're you? both nines, yeah. Oh, really? Succession's a slow build, but if you get through-
0: Yeah, I got to about series- I got to about episode five, I remember. You were
1: about to go come into the uh, oh, really? sweet spot. You
0: think yeah.
1: I should keep going? Yeah, 100%, double down. <laughs> and then series two superb. So yeah, I, they're, All right. they're the two that- And I thought Ozark ran out of steam at the end. I understand why with the challenges of filming, and but yeah, I, I think it's, it's brilliant as well. And Super Pump was surprising. It was- not many of those can get my attention as quickly as- it did.
0: So I'm presuming Super Super Pump is a documentary.
1: Super Pump is a... It? No, it's a six-part series. Oh, really? A characterisation of Uber and how it began.
0: Great. Great tip. Love it. Okay, so they're Hutchie's tips. We'll have them on the show notes. And now we're off to the kitchen with you. Recipe, please. Oh, no, and look, you're, fraught with danger. You're, you are scrambling on your phone. Have you been sent this recipe? Well,
1: yeah, no. So, full disclosure. Have I'm, you cooked this recipe? I, I, don't, I don't cook well or at all. So let's be honest. <laughs> But on, on Sunday- Right,
0: No, look, you know, share it. It's good to share a good recipe.
1: On Sunday, Claire, out of nowhere, decided to bake cookies and-
0: Biscuits. You've well, been in America
1: too long. Well, I call well, I, I a cookie for a reason because that's the name of the recipe, the famous 100 cookie recipe. Are you across this? No. So it's gone viral on TikTok around the world, this recipe. So on Sunday, Claire said I might bake some biscuits. And kid's back at school, so I just put that down to- thing for the kids and didn't think lunch boxes think. and then when about an hour later there was these like piping hot biscuits and they were magnificent <laughs> unbelievable
0: okay confession how many did you eat
1: two come Dozen. on come
0: on <laughs>
1: <laughs> two so i asked claire this morning what it was and she said to me well it's funny she mentioned that it's gone viral around the world on tiktok and it's going viral through melbourne at the moment to the point where she said she went to get the condensed milk from uh, the um, supermarket, and there was basically none left because everyone's buying the condensed milk for this recipe.
0: Okay, so kilojoule alert here. Condensed milk, I reckon probably 10,000 calories in a can of condensed milk.
1: I'm on board with that. I'm okay. (laughs) So it's called the famous 100 cookie recipe, and it's just the opportunity to get 20, in 20 minutes you get 100 cookies with four ingredients. Butter. Castor sugar, sweetened condensed milk, and self-raising flour. And it's a TikTok tock thing. So there you go. And at the end of that, you get the magnificent. Oh,
0: so you cookies. can put in – so you, the little picture you've shown there has – Hundreds and thousands, or chalk chips, or so you can put that in as a fifth ingredient. You can do if you your want. things
1: yeah, if, if you want to. But anyway, okay. that was
0: all right. So we, we'll just find the recipe in the on the World Wide Web. Jane, yeah, oh, Jane's has yeah. <laughs> Jane's <got laughs> it. Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Hachi. and that is BSF for another week. Uh, loved all those recommendations. Loved the TikTok cookie recipe. Um, Thanks, Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. And isn't it time, everyone, you called Red Energy on 131-806. Um, I was late with my bill, Red Energy, with my electricity bill. So I apologise, just putting that out there, Hachi. Um, Don't let it
1: happen. Now,
0: you're grumpy. What are you grumpy about? I'm not grumpy, am I?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's grumpy season, as we call it in the sounding board. So, the winter is in uh, journalistic terms when you get grumpy. So, everyone's a bit grumpy about something.
0: Unless you're Caro and you manage to be a footy reporter and get away for three weeks and go to to Sweden in the
1: middle of the season. (laughs) (laughs) When you've achieved as much as Caro has, though, you're absolutely entitled to.
0: Half your luck. Okay, so we'll we'll, we'll morph into six quick questions because I want to know where you stand on Nick Kyrios. Are you a fan or not a fan?
1: Not a fan, but I'm a hypocrite because I can't help watching, so I'm in that.
0: Are you watching because you're waiting for him to explode, or are you watching him because you think he's so talented?
1: I can't diagnose why. I can't turn off, but I can't when he's on, so it's it's hypocritical. I'm like the person that reads the magazine and then complains about what people write in magazines. That's how I feel when I watch Nick Curios. I don't like the way that he treats others, but I don't turn it off and show that by my consumption. So I feel hypocritical.
0: Do you think he's a brilliant tennis player?
1: I think he has an amazing amount of talent. What what I'm interested in, and we've, we've, we always feel as a society that people need to get the most out of their ability or they're failing us. Don't you think? Yeah. If you think about the people we went to school with who are really talented and they haven't quite hit the mark and you think, why are they, like, they could do so much more. And ultimately you can live whatever life you want to live in. So he's just doing, he's just doing him. He's living the life he wants to live. And we're the ones frustrated saying, if only you'd trained more, if only you played more tournaments, you could be the number one player in the world. And he doesn't owe that to us, but, you know, so he's, he's got a lot of talent, but he, he doesn't have the mental strength to be the best player in the world or one of the best five.
0: Good Is assessment. It? Um, yeah, you can ask me a question Do you, ever,
1: do you ever feel hypocritical like that?
0: Oh, uh, you... yeah. There's, not, not, not with Nick Kyrgios because I did make the decision. I wasn't really interested. It was funny. It was actually an instinctive response was, I'm just really not interested in this Wimbledon final. Um, but, yeah, sure, there are things that sometimes I, I slam, like, um, like uh, Paul Murray at nighttime. Sometimes I say to myself, I should watch what other people are thinking politically. About and then I watch it for 10 minutes, and it's like sticking pins in my skin. But I stay watching it, but then I stop watching it, turn it off, and blame it. But the next night, I watch it again. It's just weird.
1: What happened at a major sporting event that upset you this week, Corey?
0: Okay, so you know Will Carter, you were talking about him on your podcast the I other do. day. Yes,
1: he's a great young man. How you
0: sent him out to stake out which coach was it? I can't remember. A coach, you had him staking out a coach who was about to get the sack, you thought.
1: And it was, uh, and Ross Slyne? Yeah, Ross and he, Sline. and he saw him but didn't admit that he saw him until recently, so we <laughs> S- had a laugh. <laughs>
0: he, he was too nervous yeah. to do the doorstop, as we call it. Well, he's been doing a bit of work with them on the Manchester United tour and uh, at the game at the MCG, uh, no, where was the game? Uh, anyway, the game last week. Um, he sent me a text. You must be proud. Of Will? Yeah. Yeah. If he was playing for Man United, I'd be proud. of No, I'm always proud of Will. And he's actually turned out to be a fan. He's a wonderful father um, and a supporter of Libby's wife. He's a wonderful person and I'm very blessed. But he was at the Man United game working pretty hard and he sent me a text and this is what he said. I just saw a dad get escorted out with a five-year-old son because he'd had too much to drink. The son was in tears. The game had been going for, fi- for five minutes. And then he just, and then he sent another text saying, I'm horrified and I felt like crying for the little kid. And I just, it just broke my heart. I just, I just thought the hopes and dreams of yeah. that family, they would have been talking about going to that soccer game forever. And the father has gone and hit, hit the, hit the grog with the five-year-old son there. I just, and then they, they have to suffer the indignity of things. Isn't that terrible? Heartbroken. I was very upset about that. I was really moved by that. Um, Hachi, have you ever been a Neighbours fan? And will you be watching the final episode when Kylie and Jason return to Ramsey Street? So a confession, Corrie. In
1: grade six at school, I was 11 years old, 1986 from memory. You'd probably Google otherwise, but it felt like 86 in my head. I wrote a letter to Charlene, to Kylie (laughs) Minogue as a kid. And I don't think, I think Charlene had been on the screens and overalls for all of three or four days. I was a neighbours watcher every night and I sent a a letter saying, could I get a signed photo? And it came back in three days saying it was- From the
0: old awarding studio.
1: Saying it was her first, or one of her first letters from a viewer. So it came back, um, best wishes Kylie Minogue, signed photo, and I had that (laughs) photo for- Somewhere at home for fifteen years, I reckon, and I lost it in the mid twenties somewhere. But it was that is my indignity as eleven year old writing to Kylie Minogue and getting a straight back like this is a rare thing for me to get
0: Okay, there are so many questions right now. (laughs) What did you say in the letter? Really? Come on.
1: I think I said I think you're the the new new star of neighbours or something. Oh you
0: know, we would not have said that. You would have gone, you are so hot in your overalls or something.
1: Real spunk, I think I said. (laughs) <laughs> <I> was eleven <laughs> or you twelve? Confess yeah. this on
0: on a podcast before? Never before, Jane. The ratings have just gone through the roof. We've got one for Sen. Oh, but I, I got quickly, a sign. Clip, clip that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I got a signed card back straight away. Like it, honestly, it came back within the same week I sent it.
0: Oh, that's lovely.
1: Personally a uh, signed photo. They must have had this, They must have known that Kylie was going to be a star in. The PR department in those days at wadding was pretty sharp, but they had the pictures already made up. and uh, Ready
0: to send it off to
1: yeah. Craig Hutchinson. in what suburb? I reckon I would have bought, especially for you, the single at some stage as a kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Commotion, locomotion, I mean. Hey, um, you didn't answer the second part, though, of the question. I'm old would enough to be... remember
1: who played. Uh, Jason Donovan wasn't the first person to play Scott Robinson. Really? Yeah. Good trivia question. Who was? Uh, Darius Perkins, I reckon it was.
0: Been and gone from our screens. Seven,
1: Channel 7 did a year of Neighbours uh, before, before 10 took on. Ah, yeah, I was a watcher right. of the 7 year as a kid, as a 10 or 11-year-old, and a nondescript actor – sorry, I shouldn't say nondescript – a different style of actor to Jason Donovan played Scott Robinson. Wow. And I'm pretty sure – Jane might be kind enough to Google this for me – it was Darius Perkins –
0: there you go. No relation to me, because they have an S on the end of their name. But um, that is really interesting. Will you be watching That's the final episode?
1: When is it? I, I would...
0: uh, on, on uh, I think it's July the 29th. There you go. I'll... So next week. And you are 100% correct. It is Darius Perkins. <laughs> Whatever happened
1: to Darius Perkins? <laughs> he played one year of Scott Robinson on Channel 7. So Channel 10 didn't take the option on him as a character, as the actor, or he didn't want the role. And so they replaced the actor who played Scott.
0: He go. came back 19 years later and played a completely different character. Is that Our right? Neighbors. So wow. he, he is around and he's been in two Bollywood oh, movies. Oh, I'm sorry, Darius, in two Bollywood movies. <laughs> I'm sorry, Darius. There I was dismissing your career. Is you've it- had a better career than any of them.
1: Because I remember thinking as a kid, hang on, that's it. Doesn't look like it. Does not look. You couldn't Google in those days. That does not look like him.
0: <laughs> you've got. You know what? You've got. You definitely have to neighbor up next week. Yeah. And watch the final, and maybe send go. Kylie another note, and she'll say, "I remember you, Craig."
1: Yeah, I, I remember so.
0: you. I remember you from your note.
1: <laughs> it's good to see. Danny's often around town. Danny comes to the basketball games for Melbourne United. Her young boy plays basketball, so she's become a fan of the NBL. And it's often Great. to see her there at the games. It's terrific, yeah.
0: You have a question for me.
1: I do. Sorry, I'm still getting the hang of this, aren't I? Who is the recipient of this week's most deserved knighthood?
0: Joanna Lumley. She is now a Dame of the British Empire for services to drama, entertainment, and charity. And I don't know whether you saw the telly on Sunday night, but she has a new series, The Cities of the World, and she did another one of her wonderful travel documentaries and it was on Paris. Highly recommend everybody. ABC iView. I love Joanna Lumley. I just, I love her.
1: ABC iView, yeah.
0: Yeah, ABC iView. Good I content on ABC iView. But she, her career started, uh, she started life as a model and then she received bit parts on, oh, you name it, a British show. She was on at Coronation Street, Are You Being Served? Steptoe and Son, Lovejoy, um, the two Ronnie's she was on. And then, of course, she really struck gold with um, Jennifer Saunders in Abfab playing Patsy Stone, which was a role that she held for more than 10 years. So Some great we shows love among her. Those. She's just a wonderful person. I think she's great. Craig, which teams do you think will play in the grand final? And who is your tip to win?
1: Can't really go past Melbourne. I think when they get back into September in the city of Melbourne, and having missed last year's finals, I think it'll be quite infectious. And they haven't played their best footy yet. So I'm Melbourne ahead of Geelong for me. You're new?
0: Um, probably I'm landing in, in the same vicinity. Geelong on the weekend against Carlton looked so strong and impressive. And I thought, well, they've the older chaps. And we thought, like, well, maybe this is the last hurrah for. Hawkins and Joel and all of that mob. But in fact, they've got these young, strong, amazing new players. So the combination the other night just worked brilliantly, I thought. So maybe Geelong can do it. I I sort of hope so, seeing that the Hawks are not uh, in contention this year.
1: What's this week's amazing fact?
0: This week's amazing fact is um, it's about extreme cold weather Uh, because um, when I was driving up to uh, town today to meet you and do our podcast, it said it was one degree, the outside temperature, where I was. So I thought about this. And also the other thing is to, no offence, Red Energy, it's not your fault, but we had an, a higher than usual heating bill like it went through the roof, the gas bill, this past quarter. So I'm starting to think about what can we do and what what should we be aware of. And if we do have extreme cold weather, the big tip is don't travel unless you have to. Um, another tip is in the house, seal all the cracks and holes in your floor, underneath your doors. Get old-fashioned door stoppers, you know, the snakes that we, we, we do that. Um, now, there's such a thing as light box therapy. Have you ever heard of this, Archie? I have not. Yeah, well, the the Norwegian and Danish and Swedish countries are all onto it. It's because we don't have enough light in our life. It's not just direct sunlight, but we need light. So that's why when you walk into a home in Stockholm, there are 300 lamps and candles lit because it makes us feel good and makes us feel whole. So invest in, in these lamps, invest in light boxes, invest in candles. It will make you feel better. Um, this won't surprise you, or maybe it will. Alcohol does not warm you. Everyone,
1: <laughs> it's a good thing to keep. Don't just keep that between us, can you?
0: Well, <laughs> and there, well, there. I hope my brother's listening because he, he, he and I played golf um, a couple of years ago, and it was just freezing. It wasn't raining, but it was freezing. And he said he had the little hip flask of scotch of whiskey in his bag, and he said, "Oh, this will warm you up. Have a sip of this." Well, you know, we were we were birding, and we, I was. I was putting from, you know, and getting every putt in and I was on a real high. I thought, well, if it doesn't make you warm, at least it improves your golf game. And then the other thing I just wanted to say, which Miss Jane would know because she's a mother of Huey and all mothers know this. Please, everybody, dress your children and yourselves in layers, layers and layers and a singlet, as my mother would say, oh. a singlet that tucks in at the back. Oh, good chance getting that on a nine-year-old, I've got to say. I'm
2: trying, Corey.
0: <laughs> lots and lots of layers. And, don't, and just because your house might have heating and it's warm inside, just remember when they go out, particularly babies and toddlers, lots and lots of layers. So there aren't any really sort of important, interesting facts there. But look, it's a, that was a, a community service announcement. It was
1: indeed, wasn't it? <laughs> Thank you for that.
0: Craig, we've loved having you.
1: Corey, thanks for having me. I'm sorry, I've overstayed my welcome. Oh, no, we've kept
0: you chatting, but thanks, heaps. And I've been, I just, I feel so relaxed now that I've discussed billions with somebody who's sensible and aware. (laughs) And knows who Bobby Axelrod is. I I love
1: your love of it. And I'm I'm excited for you that you don't yet realise how much you love succession. So that's ahead of you.
0: Congratulations. You think I should just go the extra couple of. Okay, all right, I will. Craig, thanks for joining us. And don't forget, you can, every week, you can hear Craig and Damien Barrett on the sounding board. And now let's head to the cocktail cabinet for a well earned drink. It's trolley time. Jane's here and Miles is here. Jane has the trolley and Miles has the mixed dozen. Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Welcome to us, Miles. Great to hear you on the other end of the phone.
3: Good to be here as usual.
0: Now, we are discussing your mixed dozen for the month. We were very inspired last week by the French Reds that you discussed in honour of Bastille Day. And today, I think we're doing some more special deals in the box. What have you got for us?
3: A couple of whites today. So there's just a couple in the um, the, the tour tour pack. Um, The first one is uh, called Quenard Quenard Jacquette. so it's from Savoie, so it's up in the, up in the hills. Um, and the tour, tour often goes right through the French, well, almost always goes through the French Alps there. Um, and these are really interesting wines. Jacquère is actually the grape. Um, and they're very sort of very clean, fine, sort of mineral-driven, nice, kind of quite light and fresh. They're maybe not super wintry, um, but they're really, really lovely sort of textural and easy-drinking wines really fresh and bright. So, um, yeah, really fantastic. You don't see tons of them, um, but what we see in Australia tend to be quite good, so we're sort of lucky here as far as quality is concerned.
0: Especially at this time of the year too, Miles. It's not, uh, it's not all that common that people are drinking white wine, but I must say I do love a white wine with certain dishes, such as fish or a beautiful uh, chicken casserole. Uh, I do prefer a white wine, I have to say.
3: Yeah, look, absolutely. Uh, look, I drink white all through winter too, so for me, I don't mind having those sort of options. And yeah, depending on what you're eating, so this is quite a zippy sort of style. So if you're sort of into that, it's 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 really perfect, and probably something that a lot of people hadn't heard of as well. So um, you know, you don't see tons of wine out of the Savoy region, so it's kind of a bit of a a bit of a curiosity for some people to try something a little bit different.
0: And what's the um, what, what, what is I know it's part of the, uh, the the mixed dozen, but if we were buying a bottle of it individually, what is the cost?
3: So that's thirty six dollars um, full retail on the shelf.
0: Great. And what what's the uh, what's the second one you have for us?
3: So the second one is the is Jean Luc uh Pinot Blanc. So this is from Alsace, um, and I think people might know might, might know Pinot Blanc. Probably a lot of people know Pinot Gris. Um, and this is closely related. The um, Pinot Blanc's maybe not quite as aromatic as sort of Riesling, um, not quite sort of floral and sort of, uh, I guess, like sweetly sort of fruited as Pinot Gris. It sits somewhere in the middle. But this is a lovely textural sort of wine. It has some nice weight. It's a kind of like medium-bodied wine but a really nice, fresh kind of clean flavors. lots of... Um, you know, apple and sort of poached pear fruit, things like that. A little bit of richness, nice and kind of like a bit of, bit of fatness on the palate and it has this lovely kind of white pepper spice as well. So there's a bit of plumpness to this that I like with these Pinot you know, Blancs. I think that makes them a good sort of winter white. They've got a bit more texture and weight um, than, than, than others. So this one is a good sort of winter white, I find, and probably pretty pretty conducive to have with food as well.
0: And when you say Alsace, of course, that region being close to the German border, I always think of Riesling. So you're saying that the Pinot Blanc is not dissimilar in, in style and taste?
3: Yeah, not, not as highly aromatic as Riesling. And you know Riesling has that really sort of racy acidity and Pinot Blanc, it's, a, it's much more mellow in style. So it's a bit rounder and, and plumper than, say, a riesling would be, but certainly has like some of those sort of elements. So if you like riesling, you're probably going to like a pinot blanc.
0: Great. And what's the retail on that?
3: And that's thirty four dollars.
0: Fabulous. And so if uh, if our gang want to purchase the uh, the mixed dozen, is it the July mixed dozen? Is that what it's called on your website, Miles?
3: Yeah, the July to a survival pack. Oh, that's so right! All you need Tour to de France, survive, Tour de <laughs> <is still> France.
0: <laughs> Fantastic! But but um, potties can also buy the uh, the Savoir the one from the Savoir region and also the Alsace uh, individually as well. And how do we do these? How do we order either the July Tour survival pack or the white wines?
3: So if you go to the the Prince Wine Store website, princewinestore.com.au, dot au, there is a um, uh, heading at the front page for the. Um, uh, don't shoot the messenger page and you can go there and I'll put the individual wines on there or otherwise you can go to the packs part of the website as well. Now, if you're buying the wines individually, of course, or any of the wines individually on the website, um, you get 10% off with the code MESS. Just put it in when you throw it in your cart and uh, they will be all yours.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Miles. That's great. And we might, um, what, do you think we should explore another couple of bottles from the July to a survival pack next week?
3: Well, there's lots in there, so maybe some more. There's some more interesting things. There's some ciders and some uh, beer from Belgium, and we always talk about those as well. Great,
0: let's do that next week. Let's keep it going. We're on a good thing.
3: Yeah, sounds good to me.
0: Okay, great. Thanks, Miles. Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Now, potties, I have a real special treat for you. A very dear friend of mine, Nick Martin, is soon to swim the English Channel for a charity, a worthy charity, worthy cause. Nick. I've been watching you for the past few months. It seems like years you've been preparing for this swim and now post-COVID, post-lockdown, it's finally here. Nick Martin, hello. Welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger.
2: Corey, how are you this morning?
0: Um, I'm well. All good? Have you been for a swim this morning?
2: I have. And I have. How, how, yeah.
0: how far today?
2: Uh, four kilometres today. We're in the last week. We fly it on Sunday for the UK and I've engaged this trainer who's based in London, and he's sort of guided me for the last couple of years, and my last call with him was last Friday, and he said, good news, we've got an easy week this week. We're only swimming 25 Ks.
0: (laughs) Happy days, Nick. Gosh, it's an amazing amazing journey you've been on with this. Let's go back to the beginning. When did the idea of Swimming the English Channel first uh, hit you, and Why the English Channel and not, say, the rip here in Port Phillip Bay or some other long-distance swimming adventure? Why the Channel? Well,
2: I think the Channel's considered the Mount Everest of swimming. It's a real challenge, physical and mental. Many of your listeners have probably flown over it. I've caught the train underneath it. Just during the course of lockdown, I think swimming kept a lot of people engaged, kept them sane. Just during the course of various lockdowns, we just said, you know, different challenges in the ocean and ultimately it's culminated in this idea of um, <clears throat> let's swim the channel. I suppose it was a little bit of a dare that someone put out there and it, it's gathered some momentum over the last couple of years and we've decided to do it.
0: Janie, uh, Nick swims near my local cafe so every morning he's had the swim, we've done the walk and we gather and um I must say, your woolly dressing gown that you wear after your swim creates a lot of interest there, Nick.
2: Yeah, it's a prototype. I don't think they made a second. Um... <laughs>
0: But Nick, it's not as though we all kind of wake up one day and say, "Oh, I'm going to swim in the English Channel," and then off we go and uh, and get a taxi down to Dover and and take off, jump in the water, and away we go. This is really such a strategic thing, partly because it's such a busy shipping lane, the English Channel. Tell me how do you, how do you go about? You said you have a trainer over there. How do you go about actually getting into the swimming network of the English Channel?
2: When we were little kids, um, one of my siblings. Um wasn't particularly strong in the chest and and the paediatrician suggested that swimming would be good to strengthen her chest and so when we were little we developed this affinity with the water and then over the years various competitive aspects of swimming but I think swimming's become a really for me it's become a really meditative exercise and so if you swim for a while it's, it's so good for the mind and it's so good for the soul. So it was, in many ways, it was an easy transition to going for a relaxing swim to gradually build it up over time, setting a goal. One of them was to swim the rip from Point Lonsdale to Portsea, but the end game was always to get to the channel. Because of the mystique about it, and it really is the Mount Everest of swimming, someone introduced me to a fellow in the UK who himself swam the channel some years ago. He's a swimming coach and... He's provided some mentoring and training support. And the training is not just the physical training of, of um, swimming over a, um, over a piece of water in the bay or doing laps in a pool. A lot of it's about the mental approach. A lot of it's about the diet. Um, it's important to put on weight as a uh, as an insulator against the cold uh, and then also you know swim a distance of 40 or 50 kilometers dover to calais 34 kilometers but allowing for tide it's it's a fair bit more than that How do you manage your mind over the the 10 or 15 or 20 hours or whatever it might take? And so having someone who's been there, done that, has been particularly helpful.
0: And your coach will be in a boat alongside you, but there's no cage or, or assistance allowed or even touch, I don't think.
2: I understand it's the busiest shipping channel in the world, so you can well imagine the volumes and size of boats that travel north and south up the channel. So you engage a sea pilot... And the, responsibility, the job of that sea pilot ultimately is to track the most efficient course from Dover to Calais. Now that takes into account the weather, the tides and of course the boat traffic and last but not least the swimmer's pace. So the pilot's job is to collate all that information and plot a course which maximises the chance of success.
0: Well, we wish you all the best. And of course, you are uh, swimming for a charity close to our hearts, which is the Portsea Camp. Can you tell us a little bit about the Portsea Camp, why you're doing it for them and the go-to GoFundMe page?
2: I think it's really important that when you take on something like this, we do it for a purpose. I thought that doing a swim like this for myself was probably a bit shallow. So it comes back to how do we help young people and so the Porty Camp's been running for sort of 50 or 60 years previously known as the Lord Mayor's Camp but it does a wonderful job of bringing kids down from the country that have never seen the water before all the things that we take for granted anyway that Porty Camp needs some financial support needs some help for a capital project which it's got going and so we've decided that we'll raise some money use the swim for a good cause and that's to raise money for the Portsy Camp and you know, help provide these kids with an environment that allows them to grow, to mature, to overcome their fears and to become better citizens. And I think it's incumbent upon us if we have the opportunity to do things that unify communities, and I think this is the way to do it.
0: Love that. And I saw when I donated last night, you've got uh, $50,000 or something, Nick. You're raising it by, you're, you're storming through. So everybody who's listening, must get in touch with this wonderful cause and follow Nick Swim as well. We will have the details on our show notes of the GoFundMe page. Nick, we wish you all the best here from Don't Shoot the Messenger. If Caro was here, you're a good friend of hers as well. She'd be going, go, Nick, um, and please keep in touch. And I hope we can have a chat when you return home.
2: Corey, thanks so much. And Happy. please get please get behind the Portsea camp. It's a wonderful cause.
0: Yep, agree. Happy swimming and safe swimming, Nick. Thanks, all. Miss Jane, what a wonderful cause! I can't tell you what a joy it's been over the past few months to watch Nick Martin really overcome so many obstacles, including uh, an injury, to to make it to the aeroplane on the weekend. Uh, anyone who can get in the water every morning or as consistently as Nick. Regardless of
3: any other, you know, charitable causes, I think deserves a big tip.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, Jadi, as as we said, if anybody would like to give to this really important cause, the Portsea Camp does so much for young people, as Nick said. Jump on to our show notes for the links there. Jane, we're going to have a little break next week. Well, Carrie's still away for a week and you know what, Cory? I think you deserve a week off. Do you too. think? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. Yeah. Look, we're going to uh, have no no episode next week will, but we will be back the following week. With Carol, we'll hear all the news of uh, the wedding of Rose and Oscar, and her travels through Italy. And um, and I look forward to uh, catching up with her, of course, and of course to all our listeners. We love having you on board, and don't forget to come to the movie night. We spoke about this right at the top of the show. All the details in the show notes. This is uh, a chance to head to the cinema to see. Good luck to you, Leo Grand with Caro and Corrie, Tuesday, 16th of August at 5pm. Just send me an email if you can't find the link, if you've got any questions, uh, feedback at dontshootpod.com.au. Really looking forward to the movie night and catching up with our potty friends. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and of course, Prince Wine Store. Thank you, Miles Thompson. As always, every week he comes in with great suggestions. And you can visit dot and, And click on the Don't Shoot the Messenger page for all Miles' recommendations and, of course, the special podcast discounts. If you'd like to keep in touch with us, you can follow us via Instagram, it's at at Don't Shoot Pod, and also on Facebook. And if you'd like our show notes delivered to your inbox each week, just hit the sign up button on Facebook, or you can send us an email and we will subscribe you. And don't forget, of course, dear Carol and Corey, we will be back solving um, matters of the heart. Matters of everything, really, Jane, life in general. Oh, there has been some very interesting dilemmas coming through, but I'm holding them for Caro because I can't bear to um, give our potties only half the perspective. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Feedback at dontshootpot.com.au is our email. And, of course, once again, a big thank you to our colleague here in the studio, Craig Hutchison. He is – wow – there you go. He's outed himself as a neighbours fan, uh, and so much more we discussed. I loved our chat today, Craig. Thank you very much, and you can listen to Craig and uh, Demo on um, what's it called again, Jane? The Sounding, the sounding board. board. My other little project. <laughs> that is your other little project. You're a producer for them, a producer for us. We're so lucky, Jane, to have you. Of course, thank you to Jane Neal, our producer. And Jane, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger, Corey. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. And
2: Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world.